0: Welcome to Declarations of War. I am your host, Alexei of Card, joined by my co-hosts Jintan and Artemis Albosa. Thank you for joining us once again.
1: Go on, I'll give you this one, Artemis.
2: I was prepared to go second. I had a witty quip and everything, but howdy howdy everybody. Witty quip here.
0: Yes, I uh, I, I kind of threw a curveball at you guys, wanted to see if Yin would be magnanimous and let Artemis do his thing, and to his credit, he came through. What a great friend, what a great human being Yin Tan is. Alright, settle down there. Uh. <laughs> Speaking of collection of great human beings, uh, everyone on the events team for Theomaki, well done guys, fantastic event, very fun. I was unfortunately knocked out uh, much earlier than I hoped to be, but it was great.
1: Yeah, I was involved in that. I was a part of the events team. Um, super duper fun, and I was very—I was lucky enough to be able to sit in an observation ship and just watch the carnage unfold. Uh, You're a uh,
0: commentary, correctly?
1: Yeah, I was. Um, but that meant that I could sit there and just like watch everyone dick about and die. <laughs> it was good fun. Very good fun.
0: Uh, given the sprawling nature, oh I guess we'll talk about it later.
1: But yeah, I got
0: I got questions about that. Uh Ian, your shout outs.
1: Uh yeah, my shout out is to uh Chocolate Rain for being my nervousness buddy when applying to be an AT commentator this year. This is the first year I've been old enough to do it, as they uh downshifted the age requirements from twenty one to eighteen this year. Although I am also twenty one this year.
3: Hey,
2: My shout-out are to my co-hosts, first to Jintan for allowing me to have the first introduction, and uh, secondly to both of you together for being patient with my tardiness today.
1: Ah, no worries. I I can't exactly call
0: the the kettle black here. (laughs) (laughs) We did thank you for joining us for the last 15 minutes of the previous show. I tried, TM. (laughs) There was an attempt. (laughs) <laughs> Which, as an aside, is one of my favorite subreddits now. You
1: tried, you did not
0: try Yeah, It will be a good name for this episode. Uh, we have advertisement slots available on Declarations of War. We just sponsored Theomaki. If you would like to sponsor us, your advertisement could be right here. Hit me up in game, Alexia of Card. And all right, we threw that, out a poll. That.
1: Through that isk, you'll be directly supporting Alexiev's corporation, which wow. is, you know, full of new players. So just think of the new bros.
3: He certainly <laughs> doesn't give
1: us <it> anything.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I give your YouTube channel views, man. I'm, I'm helping. <laughs> uh, as an aside, if you're not following Yin's YouTube channel, you are missing some truly fantastic content. Um uh, He's got one of the best analytical minds in Eve, and YouTube is his playground. Yeah, I also occasionally just put dumb, dumb little uh, clips of content
1: that from Eve in there. You normally, try and keep those short though.
0: All right. Speaking of polls, <laughs> right. we weren't really. But what? <laughs> Speaking <laughs> of Yin and his mind, will the nightmare Ooh. theory crafting corner happen in 2017? Sixty-seven percent of our audience believes yes, and they will be they're entirely year. correct.
1: So that's that's what like at least I don't know how many weeks we are into the year, but like there is probably at least twenty weeks. I am sure we'll figure it out.
3: Yeah, we'll, we'll find eventually. Sure. Yep.
1: Yeah, it's worth noting, by the way, guys, that, that we've had theory crafting court ma- uh, theory crafting corner nightmares on the bottom of our like show notes document for the past. What six months?
0: Uh, That's something ridiculous.
1: Since the first, since the very first theory crafting corner, we've yeah. had that as a yeah.
3: <laughs>
0: All right, let's uh, get into our top stories. Theomaki happened. It was pretty great. Um, it better be for my own part. Uh, teamed up with Tweak from Capitalist Army and Winter Avabel and Triggerman Anzo from Mercenary Coalition. And our uh, our little Lance went out into the event. We did all right. Uh, I got into some really cool ships that were very fun to fly. I managed to pick up a winner circle ship this year. It was a tenement afterburner wolf with a missile rep. Very very cool. Very is fun this, to
2: fly. Is this the same fitting from the John Drees "How to Fit Your Ship" thing, or pardon me, earning uh, your way in like. PvP thing?
0: I don't know. Maybe. It,
1: like, John Dries does create some amazing content, which is something we'll get onto later. But yeah, Theo Mackie was a little different for me than everyone else. I was happily situated in a Maracha, you know, for eighty prize ship. But unfortunately, I was never able to shoot anything because I was dev cloaked in the center of the Proving Grounds arena so I could watch all the carnage take place.
0: So you were only covering Proving
1: Grounds? Uh, yeah, we had one commentator for each of the four beacons. Gotcha. As the beacons got shut down, we like slowly moved together, although a lot of people took that as their opportunity to go the fuck to bed.
0: And how did you guys decide, um, like on the stream, which beacon to cover at any given moment? How did okay, that work? So there's a lot of like technical wizardry that I don't understand,
1: um, but effectively what we did is we had all four player like I think it was like five people streamed to two different people and then those two different people streamed to a guy called Equalizer Eleven so that he had um two two streams that he could choose to show at once, but each of those streams could be switched between three different cameras so that he could show off like every single part of the arena. Um his computer also nearly died like two or three times just overheating from that
2: wow yeah, so um, was the was the casting sort of a i miss it i was i was practicing for the alliance tournament at the time but was the casting sort of a describing what was happening on field play by play or was that just sort of you did that when there was a big fight going on but otherwise you'd be chatting about the general progression how things worked, what was going on what did you talk about really
1: God it was actually really weird. It's probably the hardest thing I've ever had to commentate in my life because the action was just so constant. And yet there's also storylines going right from the start to the very end. Like I was talking about this group that was sitting in the um centre of Proving Grounds, basically just camping it, uh killing anyone who'd warp in in three long range missile battleships, which happened to be the three people who were last standing uh in the endgame beacon. Um you know, and I watched them from the second they got their ships right up until the end, basically. Um, wow. And then you have, and then you have things like at one point I just noticed that there were two frigates just having an honourable duel, like a hundred km away from the beacon. So I was like, you "Guys, got to come and see this." It's like a Daredevil and a Gamma going one v one for like no reason, <laughs> just living the dream. <laughs> so it was hmm. just like you just try and pick out as much shit as you could. If someone saw something cool happening, they'd call it out, they'd be like, yo, at this beacon and then the fucking camera people would be like, Shit, get that that get the feed up. Look at it. <laughs> so he basically had spotters, cameras, and talkers all trying to like work together in this crazy four and a half hour long
0: mess of just shit happening. Now, were all the commentators in one channel, or did you have beacon specific voice channels?
1: Nope, we were all in just one channel, just yucking it up because we didn't have enough talkers. So, whenever anything got, you know, whenever someone was like, okay, here's, here's something that's happening in my beacon, we'd look at that for like two seconds, and then someone else would be like, oh my god, this is happening at my beacon. So, we didn't make it particularly easy on our camera people. Sorry, Equi. <laughs>
0: Well, I wasn't able to catch the stream, obviously I was flying in it. Although I did get knocked out fairly early. I was very upset. I went back and rewatched. I had clicked uh I think Proving Ground actually as my warp off beacon. And uh I was in an Oracle. as Cinnaball landed pretty close to me, like thirty excuse me, thirty something. I had my micro warp on. I knew there was no way that I was going to change a line, and warp off in a freaking armor oracle before the cinnaball was going to be able to point me. So I tried to shoot him instead and hopefully scare him off. Obviously didn't work. So I was spamming the warp out, or I was getting ready to rather, and as I clicked Proving Ground, and I I never do this. I always use right-click when I can, or the, uh, uh, the hold-click menu. I forget what it's called, the radial menu. But I was using selected item in this specific case. And when I clicked Proving Ground to get out, it said I was not in warp range for some fucking reason. Hmm. So and I was sat plugged. there for like an extra two or three seconds. I'm like clicking like, what? Of course I am. It's like two AU away. So I would clicked off something else and then clicked back onto it. I clicked it again. It did warp. I heard warp drive active, but in that moment, I got popped. After I heard Warp Drive active, I was bopped. Um, so a little little technical difficulties managed to force me out a bit earlier than I hoped. And I think that incident is going to convince me to completely remove the selected item window from my EVE like UI. I, I'm so frustrated about it, and I rarely use it for anything. I'm just going to get rid of it. I'm just going to use right-clicks and the radial menu and
2: forget everything else.
0: The radial Man, no, that's menu crazy. is
2: really nice. Like, when CCP first added it, myself included, people were like, this is useless. Nobody's going to use it. We all use the right-click menu, and there's a selected mm-hmm. item I know. But they did a fantastic job with that thing. I, I almost exclusively use it now.
1: I will use I... it for literally one thing and one thing only. Jumping gates? No, un- unlocking targets. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. That's the only time I find where it's actually not efficient for that. Um, no, uh, specifically because of the fact that I use any reasonable hotkey for things like broadcasting targets. Like, oh. as an FC, it's super easy to just like drag, drag, drag. Okay, let's find some more targets. Because it's a very smooth motion. It's click, hold for a second, drag down, let go. And you can just do that without having to really concentrate on it.
2: Yeah, the thing that really made the transition for me is when I found the slider in the selection op or in the settings window in the escape menu that allowed me to change the delay time between clicking and when the little pop up showed up. So now it's it's nearly instantaneous for me.
3: Hmm.
1: Yeah, it is cool, but I've I've got too much muscle memory in the right click menu to be able to do anything else now. Also, I don't think there's a warp fleet function in the radio menu, which there is not. Which means it's just completely fucking useless for me.
0: What I use it for is jumping gates. I find the most convenient gate jump thing, but that's about it for everything else. I'm right clicking for the most part.
2: Well, the um, so the you with the radial menu for the keep it range, the warp to, and the orbit. If as you drag further away from the radial menu, the range at which you will do the thing changes, right? If you just click the button, it goes to whatever your default is. But I use the drag away function. To warp at range, or pardon me, to orbit, keep at range at various ranges that are different from either my default or the selectable ones in the, whatever it's called, the right-click menu. Perhaps It's so imprecise, though. But, well, a lot of it comes down to muscle memory because it is the same every single time. It's just a matter of getting to the the muscle memory in there so that you can just do it on the snap. So sort of like Jintan knows instantly where to go with his mouse cursor in the right-click menu, I know instantly how far to go to get warped to somebody at 70 kilometers type of thing.
0: Well, I mean, if it, I guess that's the great part about Eve's UI, such as it is, is that there's a lot of ways to get to the thing that you want to do, whatever way works for you. But I've often felt that the selected item window is one of the most unreliable methods in the UI, and at this point... I'm like pissed enough about it that I'm just gonna minimize it and that's it.
2: It's done. Not even like up in the top bit of your screen in case you need to just spam it.
0: It's already up there, something. but the temptation to use it is too great. I relied oh, wow. on it and it let me down in like the most crucial moment. Oh, we're losing the Artemis. Oh dear. Alright
2: you're I'll back. I am back! Aha! Provenani right. Um, did you have any great fights or interesting moments there, apart from your disappointing demise, Alec?
0: Uh, yeah, a couple cool ones. Um, So the wolf was unfortunately lost in probably the silliest manner possible. You know, he should have not attacked one of the hunters, but we have caught the zealot hunter by himself. And we had landed a tackle on him, and we thought we could kill him before the rest of the guys got there. And we almost did, but I was too far, too deep, and got webbed down like crazy by all these dudes, and that was it. Um, Prior to that, some highlights were um, I picked up a Cruise Typhoon at some point, and Tweak picked up a RepFit Exeker, and... Tweak's reps and my, like, big brick tank and huge range. We, like, commanded at a beacon for quite a while, actually. That was that was pretty fun. It was weird to, like, see a rep ship in there. I was like, Tweak, you're an executor. Does, does that have reps on it? He's like, yeah, it does. I'm like, oh, shit, all right. <laughs> Let's make this work. Yeah, uh, that was one
1: of the things I commented on when I was starting it. I was like, are they seriously doing that? That's awesome. Uh, actually, one of my favorite parts, one of my favorite little moments of that Theomaki uh, was when um, a smaller gang, I believe it was like a Balgorn, an Avadon and not a Guardian, like in a Aniros or something. Um, they, they had the scimitar following them around and repping them. And then they all landed at a beacon together and they immediately turned on their, their repping ship and just killed it. Just to get it off grid. Just <laughs> like absolute betrayal. Top ten anime <laughs> betrayals.
2: Uh.
0: There is a little bit of betrayal happening, but it didn't seem too bad.
2: Yeah. Anime betrayals. How is um how is the anime war going? Quick check in here, slightly off topic, but seems to have uh, simmered it's, down, it's, eh?
1: It's I'd say it, it was like, you know, it's weird, just focus has shifted away from us into the legacy coalition, uh, because this war is no longer being driven by Reza's ego, it's being driven by uh, Piel's desire to dick on people.
0: That's a pretty strong motivation.
1: <laughs> it's, it's, it's the strongest motivation <laughs> in the game. The desire <laughs> to dick on someone is pretty strong. <laughs> so what drives everything else.
0: Well that's a nice transition. Uh, we wanted to talk to you about this last week. It's a bit of an old story, but Honorable Third Party released a video detailing a pretty, um, a pretty inspiring scam on Pravi, where they offered to sell the identity of spies they had in Uli Federation for a tidy sum, recording the entire interaction. And, of course, did not sell them the actual spies, but rather photoshopped evidence, or advanced uh, video editing evidence, I guess, uh, which is used to kick people out that were not, in fact, spies. Yin, have you seen this video? I have. I, in fact, commented on the
1: Reddit thread. Ooh. Where I said, wow, someone who is known for baiting and setting people up lied to someone. I am fucking terrified, horrified, and could not have foreseen this happening.
0: Well, I don't think it's that this guy lied that's the shocking thing. It's that Uli bought the lie, and in fact bought the information.
1: Not Uli, a specific member in Uli. Let's not generalize here. but
0: oh, a, a specific called... member in leadership of Uli. Who also uh... had some very colorful things to say in that video. Any comment? Oh, you know.
1: People are welcome to have their own opinions. I've expressed my own opinions about, for example, Care Bears and Providence. I, you know, I respect his right to believe what he wants to believe.
0: Who would you say is the least valuable member of the Pravi Black Coalition at this moment, in terms of alliance? The Shadow of Eve. Who? Uh, TSOE. No, yeah,
1: TSOE. Ah. Literally zero hesitation. Just <laughs> got a shot in the back of the head.
0: <laughs> I didn't expect here. more resistance on that question. <laughs> nah, I, I've publicly said
2: it before. They should are not you, be itself. Are you willing to articulate the reasons why?
1: Uh Yeah, they del- they do not attempt to recruit more corporations. Uh, they are an incredibly small alliance, and they actively refuse to participate in PvP ally- uh, coalition level PvP.
3: Uh, That's I terrible.
1: I believe the maximum they've ever brought to a CTA in the past six months is two. Um, Ooh. That's atrocious. There are several uh, non-self-holding alliances like uh, Warped Intentions and the Central Omni Galactic something uh, group. Oh, yeah, Central Central Organizational Galactic Group um, who are much more deserving of that space than they are. But I am, as I've said before, not a member of Providence's leadership. I'm just our head FC leadership, and um, you know, the FC team are very separated within Providence.
0: Just Audience, let I'm that concerned. sink in. He is the head FC, the leader of their military, not considered part of leadership.
1: That's and this,
0: what Providence is dealing with right now. Uh, it's just due to the fact that we were made back in like
1: 2004. Like the structure of the coalition is still very much rooted in the leaps that kind of. Um, were well, very common back then. NRDS, for example, was an incredibly common way of playing back in 2003. It was the default. It was only later that NBSI uh, started to started to develop. And similarly, you saw a lot of alliances that would say we have a quote unquote civilian and a quote unquote military wing. You know, people, you you have that separation of power as people didn't want to live under what they felt was a military dictatorship. But it turns out military dictatorships are what win Eve, unfortunately. But that's life, you know? I, I don't think it's particularly terrible. It works out fine.
0: Well, uh, the military of Providence has definitely gotten a lot better since you've taken command. So I hope they are treating you properly and fully credit you and support you for all the work that you've done taking Providence and sort of dragging, it, kicking and screaming into Modern Eve combat. Uh, Hopefully the politics catches up with you before you guys face a stiffer challenge than Reza.
1: I, I think we'll, you know, Providence adapts when it finds a challenge. It doesn't adapt for no reason. That's always been the way of it. So I look forward to whatever challenges the future may bring.
0: Speaking of the future and what it will bring, Project Nova, something we have not really heard a lot about, but this and is basically I the... I to speculate on. Yes, so we'll, we'll just move Jin out of the room for this one.
2: Um, <laughs> Quick, somebody in Twitch stream, we need detailed analysis on his facial expressions as we bring up certain topics, okay? Oh,
0: I, I've, go got him, I've got his little, his little mini window thing going on. <laughs> he's taking headphones off He's leaving
2: Oh, what's the back of that shirt? Uh,
0: that's his Attack on Titan hoodie
2: Ah He's, he's
0: putting <laughs> something on his face Camouflage of some kind You'll I don't know, know why he has that For the riots <laughs> It's like a A head smock <laughs> <laughs> Alright, now, now you can talking about Nova He's very anime right now, you guys. This is what you're missing if you don't watch us recording live on Sundays. Uh, so yeah, Project Nova, it's basically the rebirth of dust. I had not heard a single word about it until this Reddit thread sort of uh, popped up called What We Know So Far thread. I'll link it in the show notes here. And it is a quite detailed account of, of what's going on. Um basically a collection of statements from CCP, questions and answers kind of things and very much look I, there was a lot of talk about whether it would or wouldn't be connected to dust or what that level of connection would be and CCP seems to be phrasing it like it's going to be a totally new take on the shooter genre but in actuality it seems like they're pulling a great deal of dust concepts over and unless it's like goes in a very different direction in terms of gameplay and art design seems to be a direct successor uh, for all intents and purposes but it will have a different uh, basically they're going to take lessons learned from Dust especially around the gameplay around the shooting itself like um, rewards matchmaking uh, build loadout preps and all that kind of stuff and try to do like a version 2.0 here and, yeah, I mean, they're talking about stuff like uh, SRP-ish or insurance-type mechanics in the early parts of the game to help reduce the impact of people messing up while they learn, things like that. Um, okay.
2: I was just I was just commenting that that would be nice. I know when I first started playing Dust, I made the swap from damage dealer to what Dust's version of a logistics pilot. And it was a bit of a change and quite expensive at the time. So I I nearly actually dropped it just because I simply could not afford to without grinding away more hours than I was willing to commit. It
0: looks like they're also going to make fitting much more simple in terms of the weapons and the... um, like They explicitly say that they're getting rid of power grid and CPU and they're going to merge the two into one fitting thing. Uh, One fitting resource, uh, which you can expend, so more like calibration type stuff. We're seeing slight head nods, or, excuse me, head shakes from Yin. He's also stroking
1: his camouflage beard. I'm just disgusted at the fact that they're appealing directly to the console plebeians. Ugh. Simplified mechanics.
0: Well, it's unclear if it's going to be console-exclusive. That's it, not actually
2: said. Was it Project I, Legion that like was the hope one for PC? Not,
1: yeah, I'd very much hope that it isn't console uh, console locked. If it is, I will be very annoyed at CCP.
0: I think it's the only way the game is really going to be successful because the core of their existing audience is PC gaming. If they want to expand out from that, they still need to have that as the core. Yeah. I mean, I,
1: I'm. Uh, this is not representative of anything I've actually heard because I have heard a couple of things about Nova but purely at the lunch table obviously the CSM doesn't get to go and talk with the Nova team it's a bit different to that Um, but I personally hope that CCP considers having a single account for uh, both Dust and Eve so that you can um, for example use Aurum that you've bought for Eve in Dust uh, sorry Nova that would just make a hell of a lot of sense uh not a room nuplex fucking hell plexum yeah, mini plex plex pieces
0: it would be nice um i'd like I mean, to mean if we learn anything from the dust thing it's brain. that like the risk of system shock from a dust or dust like game to eve is probably not going to be that great cuz the game at least at launch I think there are a lot of fears about connecting the economies directly because there would be like, you know, a wild price fluctuation from like all the money and stuff being exchanged. doesn't seem like that's really going to be a risk, at least not in any kind of immediate system shock kind of way. So I would be totally fine with it. Anyway, we're going to link the thread for you guys if you want to dive deep into Project Nova and hear what's going on about that. Um, there a, I mean, there's way more information in that thread than, than we would even be interested in covering. It just goes into so much detail. It's um, still not clear when Project Nova is going to be released, as far as I know. Is that, is that still true, Ian? No release date or time frame? No release date, no time frame. Yeah. But if you are uh, interested, because the name hasn't really come up, and you want to know, just kind of get your... Your toe in the water there about what's going on with it. This is a pretty good thread to orient yourself. I was surprised because I even forgot that Project Nova was a thing until I saw the thread and I was like, oh,
1: that's right. We did hear a little bit of it after Last Fan Fest, um, primarily due to the fact that the gaming press wanted to know about it. I'm, I'm not going to elaborate there. People can go out and find the articles.
0: Alright, now we're moving on you, and you can remove that ridiculous thing from your face. I don't know,
2: I quite like it.
0: That's <laughs> just because you don't have to see my, my ugly buck. <laughs> is it supposed to be like an arm sleeve or something, and your head is just tiny enough that it goes over? I thought it was like um, one of those book no, it's covers a, that it's they uh
1: a... I'll show you one second.
0: Oh, I see what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a mask, yeah, it's a mask, but you it's have like a super short neck so it can actually go over your entire face,
1: yeah, pretty much. well, no, it's just it like it's intended to be stretchable, so I could also use it as a bandana if you want to be like urban camouflage rambo
0: curious so he he claims that he has this for for protests and riots um. And we can tell that it's been very effective because of how afraid the Theresa May government is from taking away civil liberties from the uh, British people. Isn't that right? Yeah,
1: Yeah, I'm here to protect my First Amendment rights.
0: Yeah, how's that Wait, working
1: out for you? have
2: First Amendment rights. I'm so unfamiliar with the uh, uh, British
1: system. No, we don't system. actually have. We don't have a, a constitution. We have a common law-based system. So it's all to do with um, past cases. I think the closest we have is like the Magna Carta, and that, that's to do with how, how the king should deal with his barons, which is not particularly relevant to modern day. Um, yeah, I, I will stop fucking about with this now. I'm just going to re- record the rest of the podcast wearing a urban camouflage bandana. <laughs> so, sorry to our audio listeners who had literally no idea what was going on there.
0: Speaking of going to war. Hey. Uh, we had PL and NC DOT, a.k.a. the PAMFAM, deploy versus Test and Circle of Two, a rather formidable Dreadfleet that got completely dunked on because Test and Circle of Two, a.k.a. the Legacy Coalition, although I still like their old name of Tesco, uh, decided, hey, even though it's Pandemic Legion and NC DOT, we're going to throw supers at the problem, and lo and behold it worked. Now, Yin, you were actually at this fight, so I'm going to turn it over to you for a little more detail. Uh, Yin was not rocking nightmares, but it was a good time from what I understand. Yeah, I actually started
1: off in that fight in bombers. I brought about uh, three waves of bombers, uh, which I managed to unload on uh, some NC.pl uh, sorry, not NC.pl uh, Macariels, right at the start of the fight. Um, we actually managed to kill one. I was really happy. Um, because that's the first time I've ever Bomber ref well, or bomber ref in a very, very long time. I think I tried it a long time ago. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, after that, what we did, what, what I did was uh, rage formed some dreads and we jumped in like 10 suicide dreads and then failed to die in them, which was kind of counterproductive. But yeah, in, in essence though, what happened was this was over an NC dot, um, staging pods in Head. Head only has like seven moons so it's very very uh, difficult to actually find an empty moon which is why they um, were setting up there and why it was so important that this uh, pods was taken down uh, by the Legacy Coalition as how it was being used is their staging in Gehi which is where they currently stage is fairly close in, hi- in high sec and low sec jumps to Head um. So what? It, what it allowed is it allowed NC dot to quickly travel to anywhere they needed to go in the south, be it Providence or, um, Catch or even um. God, I think it's Amenti. I can't remember. No, not Amenti. Ah, uh, it's the region right to the right of Catch. I can't remember what it's called. Teneriffe. That's the word. And um, that you know. That was something that had to be stopped, and also that meant that there was a Titan locked off in that pause. so if they could kill the tower and bubble it up, then N C Dot was effectively down a Titan. Who doesn't want to put their enemy down a Titan? So, one
0: Titan and moons in
1: 2017. Yeah, one Titan and <laughs> moons, and leads to a 300 billion-esque uh, butcher's bill.
0: Uh, it was a bit more than that, actually. Uh, last battle report I had clocked it north of 400.
1: Oh no! A total, it's like five hundred-ish bill, but like three hundred to NCPL.
0: Oh, I see. Yeah. Um.
1: But no, it was a super duper interesting fight in how it played out. Like there was a lot of really, really good defensive bubbling at the start of the fight, uh, from both from um NC and PL, and they really helped to disrupt a lot of war pins. Uh. But eventually, you know, the subcaps all got in, and then without any warning, like. Just straight away, the second the engagement start, Tess just drops a shitload of dreads on um and uh, on PL's triage, which is, you know, because PL have gotten to the point now where they cannot sacrifice the members to have a subcapital logistics wing. They're relying almost entirely on these fossils or lifts to keep their Macarials alive, <clears throat> as they need the mass amount of Macarials uh, to be able to deal with attrition from Maelstrom and enemy Macarial fleets. And what that means is they're incredibly susceptible to these kind of dreadbomb attacks. You can't dread bomb a Guardian wing, obviously. Um and then NC and PL had to quickly scrape up whatever dreads they could in Jumunda, jump them in, and that was followed by a second wave of escalation of dreads uh, from test. And then once it became clear that NC and PL weren't gonna or uh, either weren't able to or didn't want to commit any more dreads, uh, they brought the hammer and tried to slow down any attrition on their existing dreads uh, with super carriers and uh, titans, blowing up all the remaining dreads. And that was the point at which we came in, in our uh, dreadnoughts, which meant that we were kind of a bit useless.
0: Now, when you guys came in, were you specifically supporting Legacy Co or were you shooting whatever?
1: Yeah, we were specifically supporting Legacy Coalition. Uh, interesting. Definitely.
0: Yeah, well. Legacy Coalition has been very, very helpful
1: in um, uh, Waffles and Pandemic Legion and NC DOT's attempts to fuck with shit in Providence, specifically our Sotoyos and um, our Asbels, as they don't want PL to think that it's going to be easy to take any Sotoyos in the area down. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Well, it's
0: strategic bedfellows. Yeah, well, I,
1: you know, I'm I'm good friends with the judge, obviously a member of CO2 and a member of CSM11 and well. But so thing Tesco's point good.
2: of view, or pardon me, the legacy coalition's point of view. They've already got an extremely hostile and rather powerful powerful entity right next to them in Delve. Plus, they've got Stainwagon, who, albeit diminished, are still quite capable to an extent. Um. And they're living right next door. So that's two huge hostile entities, one of whom you just kicked out of their space. You've got the Russians, and who knows what they'll choose to do at any given moment in time.
1: They're and currently then... moving into Fountain. The Stainwagon stain is like nearly dead, basically.
2: Oh, really?
1: Yeah, they're really taking the worst from their selection. It doesn't seem like they have that um, old tenacity. Although you never know. There's sure like moving on, though.
0: I've heard that so many times about them. It's yet to be true.
1: Yeah, but the interesting thing is actually we saw Goon Swarm not shoot anyone from test code. It seems that um, goons consider PL their most prominent enemy right now, and I find that very interesting.
0: I would find that expected. I mean, yeah. PL and NC DOT are the goon counterbalance. Test and Circle of Two are the meat shield for PL and and NC dot if they were ever to attack goons, so if you had to pick one or the other, you know you would go after the
2: core. Yeah, I know. Not to just mention, about... just don't make your neighbors angry.
1: Yeah, it was more specifically due to the amount of vitriol that's uh, put towards CO two uh, and them being traitors. You know that was a very very big part of the narrative that was being spun by goons, uh, in you know recent years basically, um, ever since World War II the consistent narrative has been our biggest enemies are those who betrayed us, uh, not those who led from the front, as PL did.
0: you so, got to remember, the goons are very good at the spinning narrative, but they're also very good at not drinking their own Kool-Aid yeah, in terms of that narrative. They very are very um, real politic-driven in their choices strategically. They're They're not the kind to sacrifice their own interest in pursuit of a uh, like a ginned up rivalry or something that, that they may find useful, but it's only useful to the point that it actually advances their concrete in-game interests.
1: Yeah, that's that's very, very true.
0: And very astute. Still, it's, it's an interesting
1: thing that's developing here in the South. It's almost like a, uh, the Old Southern Coalition. Um, I don't know how much you guys remember of the Old Southern Coalition. Uh,
2: I remember. I was not in the game at the time.
1: Yeah, it's uh, very interesting. Like you've got not only have you got Legacy Coalition, which is kind of like taking the place of the triple A led part of the Southern Coalition, you know, um, with Test C O two forming the real uh, front line of that, being backed up by uh, Brave and you know the Drone Walkers and a couple of other smaller alliances. <clears throat> but you also have on top of that the Phoenix Federation. Uh, which is Fcon, like who else is part of that? Like not Chaos Theory, Slice. Uh, nah, they've got a couple of other small alliances there. I can't remember them off the top of my head, unfortunately. Um, and those guys seem to be more and more aligning themselves away from the Vanguard Coalition, who were the people who originally gave them uh, Sov back in the day. Uh, just, well, them and Stainwagon decided that they weren't going to fight um, FCON and would let them settle where they ended up doing in immensely. Sorry, my voice is just dying because I've been talking so much today. Um, we're, we're seeing them move away from Vanguard and start to align themselves towards the Legacy Coalition, and I find that very intriguing. As I had personally pegged them as uh, purely the pets of Vanguard Coalition, they're showing uh a significant amount of um,
0: free will there. Yeah, but that free will also comes with a bit of danger. Uh, Legacy Coalition, excuse me, yes, Legacy the... Coalition and Vanguard Coalition are not as equal as I believe Legacy, or excuse me, not Lex, the FCON's crew. The Phoenix um,
1: Federation. The Phoenix Vanguard Federation. Coalition and the Legacy Coalition.
0: So Phoenix Federation and Vanguard Coalition are not as equal as I think Phoenix Federation would like to believe that they are. Um, they may be aligning themselves away from Vanguard, but I, I think they're, they need to be more cautious than that. Because Vanguard could really roll them. I mean, any of the groups involved could really roll them at any given time. Uh, it's just they're not in a particularly important place for any of the players involved right now with Legacy Coalition looking west, with Vanguard not really needing to expand at this point, and with Stainwagon sort of being in a bit of disarray, there's no expansionist pressure there, at least at the moment. Uh, And PL and NC Dot are very much focused on the Near South as opposed to the Deep South. So they're not really under pressure from any outside force, but they could be pushed under by any such pressure. Uh, Vanguard could roll them. Uh, Stainwagon could roll them, Legacy could roll them, PLNCDOT could roll them, Goons could roll them, if they ever got that far, which they wouldn't, because there's buffer. But they're surrounded by stronger states, and I don't think they have anyone that's really looking out for their interests besides themselves at the moment, which to me puts them in a very vulnerable position. If I was them, I wouldn't be so quick to distance myself from the few allies I actually have in the area.
3: Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And it's worth noting though that this this fight hasn't been the first uh everyone fuck PL kind of or uh group uh you know, shebang in the area. Uh we saw something similar, like a precursor almost in AP nine previously, uh over a Suitoyo there, where we saw um test alliance, please ignore like basically go in there and sacrifice nearly a full fleet of uh, maelstroms um, in order to let CO2 and uh, ourselves take out some PL Max. Unfortunately, we weren't able to make as much of it as we could have, uh, but we did try our best. And then uh, when when it took place uh, in you know Catch, where uh, Test was able to really leverage their... Uh, capital and supercapital superiority. Well, that's crazy. That's a crazy thing to say. I'm not going to lie though. The fact that Test has capital superiority over PL. What an age <laughs> we live in. That's course, been, it's, it's, a, it's been made it's much that the uh... it's only local. Like if PL yeah, capital fleet down, PL would have the
0: edge there. Which you know is the ultimate question. Are they going to make that move to try to change the math? And if they do, how much will they move? How much will that affect test and, uh, and CO2 and Braves' willingness to deploy their own capital assets? Like, many times when PLNC. decide to put their full force on the field, it's a bit of a fun killer. Because there's not much point at, at fighting back. But on the other hand, nobody likes losing multiple capital fleets. So their level of willingness to continue doing that sort of up in the air.
1: Yeah, I think we'll just have to see how that situation develops. There's no telling right now. It's just depending on you know who, how much they want to win and how much do they care about losing.
0: Before we move on to our next story, a little confirmation in the chat from capitalist army member Tweak uh, that it looks like Project Nova will in fact be PC. Uh, there was a confirmation at Eve Vegas or FanFest, you can't remember which, but it was said publicly. Woot. Yes, that would be very welcome. And now, this could possibly deserve its own theory crafting corner uh, if the numbers come out and if we ever get the Nightmare one done. But Tech 3 Cruisers, the loose details of the rebalance have been revealed.
1: Hi, and welcome to another NDA section of the podcast from Jintar.
0: <laughs> now, Ian, am I correct in saying that no reliable numbers are anywhere public?
1: No reliable numbers have been publicized, only suggested okay. ones from members of
0: the uh, group. That's what I thought, and That's, yeah, no so that I've I've seen that spreadsheet, and... but it doesn't seem very authoritative to me yet. Indeed. Mm-hmm. But we can talk high level. Um i think just like Kurt...
1: to note something real quick, which is that yeah. all of the logs from the Tech 3 Rebalance are publicly available. You can just go and see what people are saying to Fozzie, and then comment on it if you feel necessary. Yeah, but what
0: people say to Fozzie and what Fozzie actually winds up doing are not going to be the same thing.
1: Yeah, you can also see what Fozzie is saying, so any information that's, made, that's uh, talked about in that group is part of the public sphere, so... No insider trading from the focus group, you know, which is, a, and that's a necessary part, obviously, of them having not signed the DA, which would actively prevent them from doing so, because it gives basically security a gigantic flag on your account and everyone you're associated with.
0: Well, yeah, speaking of insider trading, yeah. <laughs> Would you like to uh, reveal to the world how you managed to make a boatload of money on Zidrin four days before you were told anything about it?
1: Yeah, you know, I just, you know, I don't know if you know anything about me, but I just, I love that green. So I couldn't resist when I saw that that was in fact a green mineral in the game.
0: (laughs) Oh, the Ballyhoo on Reddit. But you know, of course, if there was no CSM, people would be complaining about the focus groups getting insider information. Just like back in the day, they complained about heads of zero zero alliances getting insider information, which back then was actually discovered to be true. Which is why we have the CSM in the fucking first place. Why? Uh, why? The new the new bro memory is short.
1: Well, uh, if you you'd say new bro, but like T twenty happened what two thousand and seven two thousand two thousand sixteen, like. That's a fucking nearly 11 years ago, bruh. Yeah.
0: But, you know, the, the Eve Reddit shit troll doesn't really care about history, or the facts of history. They have their own alternative facts. And uh, we what we've learned about alternative facts is that it can make you precedent. So, they will continue to post and they will continue to be ignored by anyone with half a brain and the ability to read. Anyway, uh, back on the strategic cruiser rebalance, I think an encouraging sign is that th- there are no massive nerfs signaled in this dev blog. There are some slight power reductions, which I think is much less alarming to me. I think the—I don't think I'm alone in this. When people were talking about how strategic cruiser to her power to her power this rebalance was coming, a lot of folks were worried that they would just be blasted into oblivion and that the fact that they are very, relatively expensive that they you know you lose skill points if you die in them that's a pretty stiff death penalty that that wouldn't be factored in and they would just be put into the dustbin in the meta however that's not necessarily going to happen obviously the numbers will dictate uh but right now what they're phrasing is that um Some subsystem and subsystem combos are underpowered, and thus not popular. And because of that, they are going to consolidate the number of potential subsystems into fewer but more compelling combinations. I think that's a, generally speaking, good approach. Of course, the numbers are going to really say, okay, how compelling are these things actually? Are they a direct nerf, or are they interesting still? Get Arnus.
2: I I was just generically agreeing with you that uh, I quite, looking at the spreadsheet, looking at what they have right now, even if it's just completely non authoritative, a soft display of the idea they're trending towards. I like the direction that it's going. It's going to be easier for players to get into and to understand. Every single player I've ever talked to about T3s was completely overwhelmed with the amount of choices and then you tell them, oh yeah, but most of them are useless, and then they look very disappointed. I like that uh, if they continue in their current state, the fact that we have a reduced number, it reduces complexity to an extent, right? You still have a number of choices and they are meaningful choices, I think, is the word that I'm looking for here. We're yeah, meaningful choices.
0: Yeah. They're removing so well, a dent of four subsystem slots with three choices of slots. So they're not they're not killing that many choices.
1: Yeah, I think one of the most interesting things that um, Fozzy has publicly said in that group is that they're looking to make um, the tech threes slower and, um, you know, heavier, basically, in terms of, like, signature, because uh, that's part of what that's supposed to represent. Yeah, I noticed. Than, rather than just directly nerfing all of the numbers down to, like, hack level, what they want to do is they want to Give a distinction between um, hacks and T3s in their combat roles, rather than just having the T3 be flat better,
0: which is that super is... needed. And I I hope that there's eventually a hack, not rebalance, but a slight tweak pass where they get a little more benefit to like sig tanking type stuff, which was their like was their role, uh, but now the prevalence of webs and painters and tech threes. Which survive underwebs and painters much better. Um, it's, it's actually yeah. my belief that
1: hacks right now are at a perfectly fine state of power. Like really, they do with a little bit. Um, they could do with a tiny bit more fitting, perhaps in some cases. Um, but I think okay, that's not quite, That's not entirely correct. There are some hacks that are a state to of say, balance. about
2: tell me about the Hugengintang. <laughs> well, that's that's a, that's a, a recon. Hello? Pardon me. FC? Not the Munin. Pardon me. <laughs> the Munin I mean is, the, the
0: Vagabond are... and the Cerberus are probably fine. The Demos oh, so is okay you... for what it does.
1: So the Munin is fine. Uh, the problem with the Munin, however, the is The Munin is not bad. fine. It it all it needs is one utility high slot to a mid slot. That's all it needs. You do that one change, Munin's of a place in the game.
0: No it doesn't fitting. Need any more fitting.
1: It doesn't need any more fitting. You can still you could be you would be able to fit that ship well the, with um, um,
2: you need the fitting if you want to armor tank it. With Jin's proposed change, you then would it would be much easier to shield tank, which requires less power grid, therefore the existing fitting would be fine.
1: Yeah, like armor minions are a thing, they're not great. I don't feel like that's the way the ship is intended to be flying. You want to fly the munin fast and you wanna sit on that like one hundred km range, because that's its unique ability. Its unique ability is that it can use medium artillery at insane ranges. Right now that's not currently the case. Um with an extra mid slot, you're gonna be able to effectively fly a shield tanked and be able to use it properly. The one problem is that the um the hurricane and the hurricane fleet shoot do impinge on its role quite a lot. So I don't think we're gonna ever see them uh, take up a huge role um, until things change a little bit there.
0: I mean, the reason why the cane impinges on the Huguen's roll so much is because the Huguen's artillery damage compared to the cane is not that impressive. The range the Munin, is Huygen. better, but not that great. Um, And yeah, See, the, the, the is fitting if issues. If it is better,
1: that still does give you a reason to use them. We,
0: the, Only the if it's significantly better. Yen. If it's a difference between effective range, like a good damage effective range of, say... 40 kilometers to 60 kilometers in a shield fit? That's I think, not that compelling. I think 40 to 60 is actually glazing, massive.
2: Glazing over the, the tech to resist in the tank that the Munin will get over the Hurricane. The Hurricane is obviously going to have the battle cruiser size sig. The Munin is going to have lower than normal cruiser sig due to its bonuses as a hybrid.
0: But if you're cruiser. shield tanking it, it's going to take as the same amount of damage anyway. No, it won't because it has a tiny sig. It has a tiny
2: base
1: sig, and also it gets a microvolt drive signature reduction. Um, and whilst that isn't an incredible bonus, it it does help.
2: And then um, just the sheer resist bonus, the Mimitar resist bonus on a shield ship is just fantastic on its own. But doesn't it's really it doesn't have the raw HP
0: bit. to take advantage of it like the Slefner. And no, mm. but the Slefner doesn't
1: have raw HP. It has mid slots.
0: Yes, it has many more mid slots.
1: Yeah, and. Like, I also think you're really, really underestimating the power of um, even a slight like 10 kilometer range advantage can be massive if it's well used. If you are using immunin effectively at 100 km and your opponents can only shoot to 80 km, and you can keep them at that range and you can because you have range control immunin mean, that's the one thing it has. it's incredibly fast you can effectively use them. The problem is that right now it doesn't have the survivability to make take advantage of that. It doesn't have um, quite enough to make it worthwhile. I have seen minions actually be used quite a bit in Providence by small gangs who need to be able to volley off, say, T1 logistics effectively. They find that they work a lot better than hurricanes, which can be bogged down and can't uh, rapidly withdraw from a fight. And I find that fascinating. I'd like to see them a little better on a fleet thing because I find them super fun to fly. I absolutely love the Munin, but that's my personal preference.
0: In a small I mean. gang environment, I mean, if you wanted to do a hack, I'd be hard pressed to say why you'd do a Munin instead of like the Serb, for instance, or even just a regular Caracal. Fast Tackle is your only concern. Do we like it's 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 role within the meta is so niche and so. Closely encroached on either by the cane for when you want a little bit shorter range and a bigger tank or by some Caldari hacks or just straight attack battlecruisers or even battleships when you want more range. Like That, that mobile kiting artillery thing is just... It's a niche in search of a role at the moment. I mean, What's I like can see it being better if it was stronger, but it just isn't. It needs... In small gangs, it just doesn't have the punch, especially for the cost. And in fleets, there are many other options which edge it out in terms of accessibility, range, or damage, depending on what you're hoping for in that particular case.
1: It's also one of the unfortunate casualties of the tracking enhancer nerf uh, that hit it previous that hit almost mm-hmm. all uh, projectile ships because it allowed for double dipping in the range that offered. Um, and I want to move on to like just quickly touch on the zealot. And I want sure. to say it's my firm belief that the T3s keep ships that do sick tank, like the Zealot, down. Uh, the Dinosaur obviously has its own niche, uh, and the Ishtar is a very weird ship that has its own very niche role now. It's become a kind of weird utility doctrine. Uh, it's not good. I really want to fly it, because it looks kind of interesting to fly, but it's not good.
2: If we could... Um, uh, oh,
1: all right, continue. But yeah, what I, what I wanted to say is that T3s keep the Zealot down. For two reasons. Uh, The first being that, sorry, I heard someone get up. Um, The first being that obviously the T3s do everything the Zelda does better. You know, it zigzags harder, it has a lot more HP, it has a lot more DPS. You can potentially fit more utility to it because you have four mid slots or three mid slots, and you don't. The range isn't that far off, and the range is better in most cases because you Mm -hmm. can use beams with them effectively and be able to fit them right. Or, s- um,
3: go ahead
0: the sacrilege um, as well i think that a lot of the same stuff applies except instead of beams just say hams
1: yeah um and then also you have the loki which is very surprisingly oppressive to prusa based classes and the zealots specifically have you ever tried to kill a, a loki with zealots it makes you want to die it was very interesting in the because players.
0: the Loki is an extreme counter to armor hacks in general. Uh, you know, if there were, if say, the, the Hugin or the Rapier were the only long-range web options available, it would be a lot, I mean, they're still resistant to EM and Thermal, but the raw HPs are much lower. So if you have a large group of Zealots, much easier to deal with them than a Brick Tank Loki. Likewise with the Proteus, the long range tackle ability is somewhat oppressive to sniping hacks in general as well.
1: Um, it's not so much there because honestly, like you don't see heavy tackle Proteuses being used because Hicks do the same job very well. Um, I mean
0: the better. specifically the long point and rail versions.
1: Yeah, those like that still only points to like fifty kilometers. Your short range hack your long range hacks aren't fighting at fifty kilometers. However, uh... if you if you if you're calling something that fights at 50 km long range, you and I need no to have no, no no.
0: I, I'm saying visible. you're you're drastically underestimating the, the point range of those things. They can point pretty damn close to
2: 100. I believe you're thinking of it with Jesus. You're
0: thinking of that.
1: I uh, okay. I challenge. I you mean, you I would I would have
0: affair. to remath this, and maybe the leadership links have affected this. But yeah, if you if you faction point. Uh, maxed out, uh, out right thing, now. overheat it, and throw leadership links on. It's it's pretty damn close to hack range.
2: While we have the lull of Jintan pulling up EFT or Pyfo, whatever he prefers, I'm going to quickly make a few points on T3s before I get too far down this rapid hole. Uh, some things I noticed from the dev blog. Number one, it specifically mentions they are looking to increase the signature radius and mass of these. I I wouldn't think it'll take them, just those changes in particular, take them out of the wormhole meta for anybody worried about that, because we've already seen people utilize command ships just fine, even with their increased mass over T3s. Speaking of wormholes, they mention new faction-specific build components sourced from wormhole space. I suspect this is CCP looking for another balance lever, particularly within the cost of T3s, such as they can increase their cost in order to balance their... um looking for a term that means they're spread out everywhere. How? Forget it. You get what I'm saying, right? CCP wants to look for a lever they can tweak to make them more expensive, is my tinfoil hattery suspicion based on this change. Um, They're also looking to reduce the long-range combat of these ships, which makes me think maybe they may be even reducing the bonuses on the Proteus and the Loki electronic warfare systems. If they're looking to reduce the long-range stuff, they could perhaps look at reducing their control at the longer ranges in addition to reducing their application of damage at those longer ranges.
0: But Simplow key, it says some power reductions to long-range combat alongside the nullification subsystem. Ah, I, I don't really see the the web and point ranges of the Loki and Proteus a big problem when the nullification system is involved. Usually it's in a, a fleet fight format Where the nullification systems are not used.
2: I may be misinterpreting the sentence and interpreting it more generally than perhaps intended. So fair point.
1: Also, Sir Alexiev Card of Clan Capitalist Army, I name thee a liar. Oh. Uh, The proteus can only point up to 70 kilometers. You would have to fit an officer uh, point, which you can't reasonably do to get anywhere close to 100 kilometers.
0: All right, so the, the command link nerf. It a bit. It used to be like close to ninety, if not more. Okay, I, I don't know if that was ever the case, but I I, I, I fought maybe. them. It, it's definitely the case. <laughs> in, in it case, used maybe. to be, but uh, the seventy is much more reasonable.
1: Yeah, I want to say though that I do see something in that, like in how CCP is uh changing it in the because they did produce a document with like projected um what they wanted the subs to look like. And one of the things they had is they were giving, um, they were giving tech threes a bonus to heat effectiveness on certain yes. subsystems. And I think that is an amazing way to make T threes more balanced. I absolutely adore that change.
0: Yeah, that's pretty cool. Another one that I, I really like tiny tweak, but thematically I'd love is that they're going to allow the removal of rigs from strategic cruisers without destroying the rig. I think this really gets to the power fantasy of the Tech 3 cruiser as this versatile class, because before, you would have to buy... Basically, you'd have to buy a Tech 3 cruiser for each set of subsystems you wanted, because usually they had very different rigging requirements because of fitting, because of, uh, uh, of roll. So now that that's a little more flexible. You know, it really gets to the idea that you could buy one of these things and use it for everything that you need.
2: It is certainly an appealing concept. I know within Mercenary Coalition, yeah. our, our Doctrine team had quite a lengthy discussion because we're a nomadic group. We, we go where we get paid to go, and that requires the majority of our pilots to effectively own a suitcase carrier or super simply to move their ships to the new deployment area in a very rapid manner. And so one of the things we were looking at to reduce the number of ships we'd have to carry along is what if we can just have one and ship that we can change the fits on, right? And you've got plenty of cargo space in the things. It's just the SMA space that is the limiting factor here. And we looked at the Tengu as a platform for this, but having to stick with the Sang rigs, else worry about SRPing T2 rigs every time you make a move or something like that, it simply wasn't viable and I think nomadic groups in particular will love this. Explorers will probably love this. Perhaps wormholers with the shenanigans that those guys pull will enjoy this change, but I am really looking forward to it. I think it's fantastic.
0: And It's a a minor, not really going to affect their on-field effectiveness in any way, but still a pretty cool buff to the ship, but I love seeing um, I just love seeing changes like that. I think they're a really great way for CCP to balance ships. Like this is a very cool, distinct value that doesn't actually affect its on combat capability, but still a compelling reason for you to buy it. And That's a pretty nice niche to have.
1: It's a game design uh, a game design aspect called intangibles, where you're giving, um, you're giving something utility in a way that no other ship has utility. Uh, that's something we see with command destroyers and their micro jump drive field generators, even though they're not particularly uh, powerful in their raw stats we still see them used in almost every fight uh, because of how powerful that intangible is uh, in changing the way a fight works yep and whilst this is a bit more downtime based i do think it's gonna be awesome
2: speaking of downtime although slightly off of the connotation of the term the exact date for these changes is july 11th <laughs> just for anybody wondering
0: Scheduled for release on the 11th, uh, no real no real uh, timeline of the finished numbers being released, but you would presume it'll come out at least a few days ahead of time.
2: I'd, I'd presume sooner than that, given they'd probably like to test their changeover things on TQ, or pardon me, CC.
0: One would hope. Yeah. So sometime, probably by the end of the month, I'm going to guess, between now and, and uh, the end of June. We're gonna get some actual hard numbers on these changes and we'll be able to to better say what's what's happening here but I agree with you yin that that hacks are for the most let's see for the most yeah I guess they are for the most part in a good place but there are just a few that are really struggling some of them are really struggling because of the current state of t3s and some of them are really struggling just because they are a little a little underpowered in some ways I think the sac has great utility, but doesn't really do any one particular thing terribly well. Uh, even I tank-wise, the
1: sac used a lot in
0: wormholes, like it's
1: a very, very popular low-class wormhole doctrine. The sacrilege.
2: Like I've I think also he, seen it in low sec as well for mid-sized entities.
1: Yeah, I think people people conflate not being used with being underpowered.
0: What I mean is, uh, if you look at it in terms of damage and tank, it's the zealot excels. Range the zealot excels. The only thing the sack does better is it has the utility slot and better mids, which is good but could be better. Um, I think for the distinction of the zealot being the damagey hack and the sack being the tanky hack, which you would sort of think is the case by their bonuses, I think they could each use a little more distinction from one another. The zealot having not as much hit point and resist ceiling but at the same time having maybe a little bit more damage and or a little bit more range, or maybe can fit guns better, something like that. The sac may be a bit tankier than it currently is, which is still tanky, but doesn't really quite hit the power fantasy for the ship. Um, The MOA, I think its problem is the serve is really good. You mean the eagle? Yes, the eagle. Excuse me. The, eagle is that the the problem with the eagle is that the CERB is really good, the Caracalla is really good, and the MOA is not bad either, and it's, it's, it has the range but doesn't really have the damage, doesn't really have the fitting, it just needs
2: something. You do, you do have to remember that at some point in the future, date pending, there is going to come a change where Rapid Lights no longer receive the range bonus from those various halls you just mentioned. So while the heavy missile platform of the CERB may still remain in power... I think the Eagle stands a little bit better against it if it doesn't have the option to refit to rapid lights.
0: Yeah, yep, that may
2: very well do instead it. Of Eagle again. That
1: said, uh, have you ever read my article, on Alexeyev on uh, why hacks need to die? It's the first article I ever wrote for CZ.
0: The title sounds very familiar, but I don't remember the contents, I'm sorry. Uh,
1: it's where I, specific- I I said that ha- uh, h- heavy assault cruisers kind of break what T2 ships should be. And I tried to reimagine what they would be within the paradigm of CCP's current uh, philosophy of how T2 ships operate.
0: And what did conclusions did you reach? Uh,
1: that the hack line should be split entirely. There should be two separate ha- uh, groups of hacks. Uh, there should be sniping hacks, and there should be anti-tackle hacks. So I, I like
0: sniping of- hacks. The, my issue with anti-tackle hacks is that it. The concept of it gets so much in the way of some other ship classes like T1 cruisers, uh, anti-interceptor interceptors, destroyers. I would love to see sniping hacks and then like a true dedicated sig tanking hack, like a super assault frigate.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's what I consider the um the the anti-tackle hacks. Like they would also have a lot of close-range power, uh, but they'd Couple that with like tracking bonuses and stuff like that, they'd be very much dedicated as like a uh, almost an undergunned platform. Uh, hmm. But you know, I, I, this was roundly like assaulted by the community, and I think in I think it was uh, something that I was wrong with. Like I'll happily admit, I I wouldn't do that if you gave me the keys to Eve Online right now. I think there are vastly more pressing like underlying issues in the balance of the game than. The hack class not quite meeting the current debt balanced philosophy, um. But yeah,
0: it's yeah. I mean, it's very that. niche. The assault frigate and the hack lines are like two of my favorite ship lines. I would like to be flying them more than is currently feasible. Yeah.
1: What is he, what is your favorite hack? Look, go around the table. What's your favorite hack,
2: Alexiev?
0: Oh, it had to be the sacrilege, Artemis?
2: Alex stole mine.
1: The Munin, personally,
0: I would love to be flying the SAC constantly, but it's it's really hard to justify the cost for the power that you get. Especially, I mean, in the fleet context, the Ham Legion beats it in literally every way. There is there's no reason to fly. Uh, e- even if you just compare like the amount of money, like the value for the money that you're getting is is worth every penny. It's not even like a case where there is an escalating, or excuse me, like a diminishing return of any kind. It's just not worth to do. And then in the small gang concept, some of the same logic applies. The hack is expensive, but not strong enough to really justify that expense in most contexts. It doesn't have the DPS to break tanks. And its own tank can be good for one-on-ones, but still overwhelmed in an outnumbered situation. And it doesn't really have any range control, because it's... it's slow, <laughs> so it has some problems. Um, but it's still my favorite, in that I really wish that it could work. And there, there was a time that it did used to work, and then Tech Threes became so much more popular, and then it just was like, well, why would you have a why would you have a sacrilege with a utility mute when you could have a ship that tanks harder, does more damage? and has a bonus snoot <laughs> there's really no reason <laughs> oh it's a damn shame a damn shame uh, but yeah I love it I would I like, like to love to, uh,
2: it uh, I like to pretend that I'm in the alliance tournament prize ship whose name I forget the cruiser sized Bangle. Bangle thank you that is my favorite ship in all of EVE and I like the accolage merely due to its uh, similar ship model there we go <laughs> Anyway, moving on, let's
1: get to host highlights, I suppose.
0: Yes, uh, so my host highlights, since we already talked about Theomaki, I'm not going to bring that back up, although it was quite fun. Instead, I'm going to bring up Roaming with Telrath. Wraith is one of the OG Noir members from way back in the day, one of our finest Interceptor pilots. And he recently came back to EVE, joined up with the Capitalist Army, and we've been going out on roams together, together, um, particularly with Tech 3 Destroyers, since we, he's interested in... Uh, and getting better with those ships, and I've been really enjoying my jackdaw lately. So, we've been going out uh, and duoing, and it's been quite productive, and it's really great to fly with him again. And uh, I can't wait till my cousin Pete gets back from moving house, so the three of us can go out maybe with Tweak or Whole Mag and do like a, a, a four to five man fleet out in Cloud Ring or Syndicate and really throw it down
2: Artemis. My story is a tad bit of a long one, but it was a fantastic one. Um, I was practicing for the Alliance Tournament with the Mercenary Coalition team. We were scrimmaging with another team, who I will not name for various reasons, but I was flying the logistics cruiser. And for those unfamiliar, allow me to share some details about the Alliance Tournament format, these scrims, things like that, just to add weight to what I'm about to tell you. A couple of important details. Number one, within the Alliance Tournament, there is a rule. That rule is that only one ship, barring a few exceptions, can have remote repair modules fitted to it. Typically, this is a Tech 2, which is 6 cruiser the ship I was flying at the time. So if I die, all of the friendlies on my team, of which there are 9 others for a 10-man team in total, they have no one else to keep them alive, barring their own self-tank. Furthermore, the arena itself is centered around a central micro-jump unit, which is a depo thing. It's a deployable, there we go, which you can launch into space. They're on TQ. You can use them. Anybody can use them. And you can activate it. A few seconds later, you jump 100 kilometers away. It's just like a micro jump unit you fit to your ship, except you can launch it into space. And around that, for 125 kilometers, is the arena in which matches take place between two teams of 10 members. If you go outside of this arena... You get exploded. CCP just kills you off and you lose. Well, you lose your ship. Your team may not lose, as PL <laughs> would like to think. But in any case, that's the deal. Uh, furthermore, apart from just the singular one in the middle, there are eight more roughly 87 kilometers away from the center of the arena and 100 kilometers away from each other in a cube MJD unit spread throughout the arena. Those will come into useful later. So, the matchup. Our team versus another team. We scrimmed with them a couple times before, even the, this night in particular, during this practice, and they had been wiping the floor with us, just completely and totally decimating us. Some of it was because they had a stronger composition, some of it was because we made a number of piloting errors, but in general they were just destroying us. And so now we swap over to a different comp, and they do as well. So we're both in nude comps, we've never seen each others before. Their composition is designed to do two very specific things. Number one is to nuke frigates, and number two is to nuke logistics cruisers, the ship which I am flying. (laughs) So the way that the match goes down, 10 second timer goes down, and the match begins. I know that off the bat, they really, really, really want to kill me. There are two ways of going about this. One is to catch me, or one is to project to me. They choose to try and catch me first so they can kill me faster which means that they instantly off the bat just nuke down, volume off the field, reps don't even matter, my screeding hyena. This is a webbing ship which has long-range webs, which I was using in this particular instance to keep them away from me. Nuke him, wipe the floor with him, he's gone. I've pulled enough range that they can't quite shoot me at this point, and I am burning back towards an MJD beacon, because I know if I can get to one of these things and not boundary with it, I can hopefully kite them out fast enough. So they continue to burn towards me, and as I reach the MJD Beacon, a rapier lands webs on me. And while this is happening, they're still doing damage to my team. I'm roughly 100 kilometers from the teammates whom I am solely responsible for keeping alive during this match. So I land at the beacon, I see tackle has landed on me, my teammates are running low. I need to get back in there and save my teammates and also keep myself alive because they're probably about to turn to me. Activate the MJD Beacon sweat for a minute because I don't really know where exactly I was pointing at the time, and blink away, suddenly I'm in the middle of the arena, top my teammates off, we're good to go for a few seconds. They reorganize, they realize what just happened, and so they turn all around and rush back towards my team. More stuff takes heavy damage, it's really pushing me to the limits of what I can keep track of, making sure reps are landing on the right ships at the right time, as well as that I'm keeping away from their rapiers and I'm out of their damage range, everything like that, and eventually they get to shooting at B again. They fast swap back to me, and I have to burn for the center MJD beacon. The center MJD beacon is my favorite one for a couple of reasons. Number one is, if you are sitting still, you can MJD in any direction, and you will never boundary. The same cannot be said for the ones in the corners. However, if you're being silly, and you're not thinking, and you're moving too quickly as you activate it, You can be moving too fast as you blink a hundred kilometers and coast out of the edge of the arena. So I am burning hard for this thing, and about two MWD cycles before I reach it, I realize, oh wait, if I continue at this speed, I will boundary if I activate this thing. At the same time though, these ships are specifically designed to kill me. I am bleeding structure, I am running through my last few ASB cycles, So I have to choose, do I turn off my MWD, do I coast to this thing to make sure I don't boundary, or do I die? And I choose to try and coast it out to hope that I can heat just a little bit longer on my invuln, make it to the MJD beacon, and not boundary. Fortunately, this gamble pays off. As I use my last ASB charge, I blink away once more. This is the second time I've taken an MJD this match. Land 100 kilometers away. I'm now out of range of them, I quickly reload my ASB to non-ideal cap charges, so this time I only have four cap charges for the ASB as opposed to the typical nine you would have, and the fighting continues. They're still damaging my friendlies, I still have to get back within range to rep them, and I still have to be ever wary of them turning back on me. My team starts taking heavy damage again, I find another MJD beacon, blink back into the middle of the fight, top them back up, and what do you know, they start shooting me again. So with my four remaining ASP charges, I burn to yet another MJD beacon. This time I'm extremely careful, because this is not the one at the center. I have to be pointing in exactly the right direction to not blink out of the arena and instantly explode. And But this time the problem is, I overshoot. There's a 5 kilometer sphere around the MJD beacon, which you have to be in in order to activate it and I'm going too fast towards the thing, and I overshoot it. So at this point, I think I'm dead. I think I'm done. I've got one ASB charge left, I've got to burn back to the thing, I use my last ASB charge, I use one on Capacitor, which completely nukes my cap, and I eventually manage to land the MJD beacon, flip out the safety, and they concede the match. It was the most fun I've had in alliance tournament practice ever. It was fantastic. I love those MJD beacons. It was a bunch of fun. It was really hard. Uh it was amazing. The aristocrats.
0: <laughs> awesome <laughs> story, man. Reference. I'm sorry. Yin.
1: Yep. Uh, do, do, do Yeah. My personal highlight for I suppose this past couple of weeks has been. Uh, Something I think a lot of people wouldn't consider a highlight, and that's been uh, taking redundancy from my job. Uh, I've been working in a company for about five years now, and I made the decision to uh, uh, get out whilst, whilst the going was good and go back to university as a student, I'm going to be studying a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering.
3: Ooh. So mm-hmm.
1: until then, I've got about two or three months of uh, pure, you know, pure nothing to do so i can't wait to
0: just fuck about basically it's a pretty cool situation to be in
1: yeah no it's not often you get this amount of spare time with the money to not feel awful whilst you're doing it
2: so is this well never mind no go ahead dude I i was gonna ask is this the sort of situation where your previous employer is paying for your schooling such that you can take a new position or is this you purely stretching out on your own and going for a new thing?
1: Uh, no, this is my company is moving to a different location and I did not wish to follow, so I was legally obliged to be given redundancy. Ah. Yeah, it's, you know, got paid reasonably well for that. Nice. But I'll probably be having to take some student loans.
0: <laughs> wow, that's to be expected. Yep. A moment of truth, guys. Theory Crafting Corner, Yin. What? <laughs> I may take that as a no. Do you want to do the Theory Crafting Corner, or are you uh, a bit zonked? Oh, we can do it. I suppose I've got no reason not to. It's up to. Uh... Hey, hey, hey! Oh my God, is this happening?
2: Sir so Jin, the master of nightmares in droves... Opening God. statements. How about them Nightmares, though?
1: So, Nightmares are a doctrine that was adopted by several entities, um, and the reasons for that vary. But what are the big powers of the Nightmare over the Makario? Because obviously they both compete for the same role, both being faction battleships uh, that can fit both long-range and short-range guns. And the first and most obvious advantage for Providence is, is that they use energy weapons. They use beams and pulse lasers. And this is something that is a massive advantage to us as we have those trained ready up, ready to go and at a T2 level. But going back beyond that and to the pure theorycrafting, what they have is the ability to almost always disengage to some degree. Uh, and that's due to their afterburner bonus.
2: Indeed, it's a, an insane a 30% bonus per level of Kaldari Battleship to your afterburner bonus. So typical speeds of a nightmare, mind you, this is an unscrammable nightmare, right? Scrams do nothing to it. You can rub it down, sure. But the typical way to slow down another ship is simply to chuck a scram on it and shut down its MWD. It'll be going with all five skills, just a, a T2 afterburner. A battleship going at 750 meters a second, roughly. So.
0: Overheatable to over a thousand, and of course that's not including your uh, your leadership bonuses, any boosts that you may be getting.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Links are incredibly powerful with nightmares, albeit a bit difficult to uh, to utilize given the special nature of the nightmares' mobility.
1: Yeah, we can I found to be... MM
0: use for that. Sorry, go ahead.
1: Sorry, I was just saying that. Uh... Pardon me. We typically use 100 and grand ships to uh, give links.
0: Now, the the unscrammability of it is cool, but I had always wondered why I mean, uh, this is purely on paper. Obviously, in practice, the nightmare is extremely strong. But on paper, I was always curious as to why that was because even though it's unscrammable, a thousand meters a second is not very fast. Any ship with a micro-warp drive with the exception of some battleships, is going to be able to keep pace. So at the minimum, you'll be maintaining distance. Uh, but you know, for any say battle cruiser, strategic cruiser, hack type ship, you know, you're still be gaining ground on this fleet. You could easily keep up with them in a combat situation if you wanted to. Yeah, and how does well, this play out in terms of actual combat?
1: Well, you severely misunderstand the meta there because, well. I suppose that was probably intentional, you're not misunderstanding it. Um but effectively you don't see any micro warp drive uh ships that are intended to go close range. That's not a part of the current meta, and that's primarily because of these um, you know, very powerful afterburner based ships with uh battleship guns, uh as well as also tech threes to a smaller degree. If you burn into someone with an MWD and they're a being away, you either have to sit there and keep MWDing, sucking out a lot of your cap um, and massively increasing your signature so that these guns can hit you well even when you are close in, just to scram them down and keep them on grid. Um, or you turn off your MWD and as such they will slowly move away from you. In addition, all of the nightmares can fit neutralizers in their utility hide, and that means that being able to get one or two tackle ships, like for example a a couple of Lokis or a couple of Proteuses on top of you isn't a big issue Uh, in fact the only real way uh, we've seen for people to get on top of and keep um, Nightmares engaged is through the use of Proteuses uh, with one one of their normal Scram mid replaced with a Web and then just relying almost entirely on saber bubbles to keep them locked down, and even then that doesn't work effectively versus the pulse nightmare. As pulse nightmares are incredibly good at fighting in that sort of uh, engagement,
2: and they're good at fighting. I would wager, due to number one, their ability to dictate range with their afterburner bonus, somewhat negated by the web, but also. The Amar battleship bonus for the Nightmare, which I think we neglected to mention, is 7.5% bonus to large enemy turret tracking speed. So yes, these are battleships using large lasers, but they have phenomenal tracking for their size.
0: Yeah, yeah and pulse lasers have pretty decent tracking in general. Obviously, if you get right up under them, it's going to be difficult to hit, but in a fleet fight situation, for those of you that haven't been in one that it might be listening it's extremely difficult for you to remain under the guns of an entire fleet. You can typically do it to maybe the target or targets you have actively tackled and webbed down, but the rest of the fleet can pull range, and the Nightmare doesn't have to pull much range to be able to track you perfectly.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: It's, uh, you know, one of the other key roles that they really played... Um early on in the development of the Nightmare Doctrine back when they were quite expensive is the fact that they can be utilised as uh, a counter to Cerberuses. They're one of the few ships that is uh, almost a hard counter to Serbs. Uh, In fact, they do it far, far better than um, Macarials do. In fact, we actually fought um, Macarials with Cerberuses recently in Providence and we found that yes, Whilst it is possible to kill a few Cerberuses with Max, it's very, very hard, and it takes a long time to grind people down.
2: I was going to say that's the, one of the ways in which we reinforced the IHUB hub at m when we were invading at the beginning of World War B. We simply camped the station of CO2 at the time with a Cerberus fleet, and then sure they could undock a Carrel fleet, but pff, we do not care.
1: Yeah, you can just sit 160 kilometres with a missile guidance enhancer and laugh at them. Whereas if you try and do that to nightmares, not only are you going to have to be MWDing constantly and really, really taxing your cap, um, but you're also still going to be within decent DPS range of those nightmares with Aurora. In fact, the main uh, concerning factor you're gonna they're gonna have is lock range. Uh, And whilst that does mean that damps are incredibly effective against them, you know, all it takes is dropping one heatsink for a single amplifier and you're going to be losing subs at a rate that is not sustainable
2: well and that brings up another point which is yes damps are powerful but the numbers of the number of damps you would need to effectively damp down a fleet to reduce their effectiveness is such that you're going to be using unbonus damps right it's going to be utility mids somewhere in your comp it's not just going to be one or two utility ships and that means that they're going to have very short range. And the range of the Nightmares, either because they're being fit and they're kiting from you, or because in this particular instance you're is and you're kiting from them, it's not going to be quite as effective as you would expect. This is often the reasons that tracking computers don't yield the results one would like when they use tracking disruptors against Nightmare comps, is because the range the Nightmares will keep from you is far enough that your Effectiveness from the tracking disruptors is greatly diminished.
0: Yeah, the only way to really get around that is to off so, sort of outsource your tracking disruptors from the utility mid slots of your fleet to dedicated frigates like crucifiers that can keep pace with the nightmares faster than they can track them, and still put down the uh, the tracking disruptors at decent range. Likewise, the mollus with damps, but those ships are extremely vulnerable to any kind of counter frigate type situation that you might have in your fleet like your own dictors your own interceptors, they have very little defensive or offensive capabilities of their own so they're extremely easy to pick off.
1: And more to the point, one of the key ways in which you can actively uh, kill a Nightmare fleet, which we found is just heavy bombing is incredibly effective against those sort of ships. All it's going to take is, you know, if you're for example wanting to use your own bombers, as the Nightmare uh, FC, um, you're going to be able to very, very quickly whittle those guys down. All it's going to take is two or three well-landed bombs, and you can kill hundreds of you know T1 frigates. So you're forced to spread them out some more, and that means that they're then vulnerable to any sort of anti-support fleet that you have going. But this is getting into the more multiple fleet setup, which, unfortunately, is where we do see Nightmares used a lot of the time. Uh, because well, let's talk
0: one-on-one setup. counters. We've talked about how good the Nightmare is, what stuff it's good against. Is there particular fleets that it's weak on? Uh, You know, if you were to counter your own fleet, for instance, what are some viable tactics you think might work out?
1: Currently, the main tactics we've seen um, be really, really effective against them are Macarials under triage, very specifically. Um, And that's because of one of the key weaknesses of the Nightmare, and that's because it relies on that fast AB. It relies on being able to dictate range. If you get up close to it, we're in a place where you have the range advantage. Um, you're going to beat Nightmares. They don't have a huge tank. They are shield-based. Um, and the fit that we have is relatively low EHP. It's focusing almost entirely on um, resist profile, so that our logistics can help with it. Uh you know, not being able to utilize forkses is, is a huge downside. And when you have a fleet that has almost comparable range, like the Macariel, uh, that's where you start to run into very, very severe problems, especially as the volley from the max um, is a lot better at killing you than you're going to be at grinding through the 300k-ish EHP that a Macarial has.
0: Yes. Doesn't uh, Beam Nightmares safely outpace the artillery Macariel in terms of range? And if they're faxed if they're in fax mode I mean they're going to be quite tethered to that thing they can't really move outside of that range it makes them very predictable in terms of positioning
1: yeah the thing is however if you're sitting in a very extreme aurora range which is where you'd have to be um, you know I think you need to be about 150 ish so you're you're going to be outside of your optimal range um, for beams and whilst you can go back down to 140 there's still a danger there of being volleyed uh, whereas you're sitting with a very low dps ammo you can't realistically volley max until you get a huge amount of people and even then that just becomes a um a dedicated trade fight and you're not going to be doing too well in that because max will lose critical mass after you have uh, just just of the volley of artillery
2: and it's also worth noting that a limitation of beams in particular and pulses is that they have a very specific damage type and so uh, something that is not so often utilized in typical nightmare fights because as alec mentioned they're usually used when multiple fleets are on grid but if it's a one-on-one versus a nightmare fleet in a macarial, particularly an armor with triage it's a very simple thing to merely swap out a hardener or two for em and thermal specific hardeners and suddenly you're way more effective at tanking Numerous nightmares. Yeah.
1: The other um, counter that we found is the pro- the aforementioned Proteus Fleets. If you can effectively use uh, tech threes with webs fitted to their mids and get a good warp in, that means you don't effectively defensively bubble against them, uh, you will die. Unless you are fit with pulses, you... Can't realistically fight tech threes at close range, um, and that's due to a couple of reasons. The first being that the Hugin obviously has incredibly low shield tank, um, it's going to be very, very simple for uh, a fleet of any size of tech threes to take out your hugans at the start of a fight and then render your beams completely useless. This means that you then have to spread out, which is reducing the effectiveness of your logistics as people start to run into fall-off, um, and then even beyond that, it becomes incredibly hard to even spread out in the first place. And it, all the meanwhile, uh, you know the Tech 3s have a great SIG tank, a great base CHP, and beyond that, they have relatively decent damage. So they are going to slowly start to chew through the nightmares, whilst you can't do anything about it.
0: One concept that comes to mind would be some sort of micro-warp drive artillery armor Loki probably be quite a difficult situation for a Nightmare Fleet to handle. Um,
1: Yeah, theoretically, I think an AB like armor Loki, like autocannon Loki fleet might actually be one of the best doctrines potentially to counter it, especially due to the EM resists and EM thermal locked resists they get.
0: Um, <laughs> bit... I just got a picture in my head of like a whole fleet of tests that were Pandemic Legion uh, Actually, okay. uh, Pandemic Horde, and just auto-cannon afterburner wolves flying all over you. <laughs> that would be oh, ridiculous.
1: God. That sounds like my, my nightmare. But in that case, I'd just <laughs> like, fit everyone with smart bombs. Just cl- huddle together, just well, it accidentally.
2: Is, it is quite often adorned in their nightmare high slot is a smart bomb, along with one of their heavy newts. Yeah, in fact, it depends I believe the, the test standard fit has a smart bomb there for firewalling missiles, or drones, or what have you.
1: Yeah, I believe our standard fit uses a drone link augmenter, um, because we uh, are typically used to fighting at about the 70-man level, and in that level, it's actually really, really useful to have DLAs, because you can slave them to, like, one Lachesis, and just murder all the sabers on grid right at the start of the fight, which means that you can leave if you need to basically just maximum cowardice at all times.
2: (laughs) So, what does the Nightmare one-on-one hard counter?
1: The Nightmare, what does it hard counter? Uh, It hard counters almost all armor battle crew, uh, almost all armor. The Slepnir, it destroys the Slepnir in a one-on-one fight.
0: That shocks me, actually.
1: That sounds really weird, because you have that EM thermal resist, you know, Yeah. it's quite a tanky shit, but the problem is that the Slepnir, because of it, it's the way it's fit with MWDs and so many uh, so many large shield extenders, there is no hope in hell of it ever possibly getting underneath your guns, and that just cripples everything it can do, because you will be able to burn it down through sheer DPS before they can volley off your critical mass. Like It it just becomes a raw EHP versus D- DPS fight and the Nightmares have the base stats to win that through all the mitigating factors that Sleptnitz have. Interesting. Um, beyond that, obviously it's going to kill every S.H.I.E.L.D. Battlecruiser and every Armour Battlecruiser because it's a faction fucking battleship and boohoo. Um, I've never fought Munins with it, but I imagine it would fucking shit on Munins. Uh, it used to shit on S.H.I.E.L.D. Ishtars really, really heavily. Mm -hmm. Um, but obviously Shield Ishtars don't exist anymore. Never fought them in armor Ishtar, so I can't talk about that. I'd imagine they do slightly poorly with it against it. I'd say that's probably a 60-40 matchup in favor of the Ishtar.
0: Uh, I would probably do 60-40 the other way, actually.
1: Okay, fair enough. Specifically just because you can fit two tracking disruptors or two damps in the mids of each of those Ishtars and kind of dictate range that way.
0: Yeah, and you can put em damage on the uh, on the nightmares that they can't really outrange which is interesting but yeah on the other hand the on the other hand, effective hit point your, of uh, the
1: you can drive your nightmares just right into their drones and just start spamming them
0: could do that uh, but even if you wanted to like trade at range the ishtar if it's in its armor configuration the dps is not that great uh, it'd be like a, what a third of the nightmare something like that It'd be pretty garbage comparably, um, and the effective hit points you can mitigate somewhat if you do an EM thermal hardener like Artemis was saying, but you're still dealing with a hack with a 1600 plate, and there's only so so much it can do with that. Its base sig resist is a, or base sig radius is actually quite high. It can't effectively sig tank even with an afterburner at long range.
1: Yeah, that's very true. Um, and what was the other one? Um. Yeah, it also generally dunks on uh, armor battleships. I will actually throw you a quick battle report, which is uh, one of the pr- fights I'm probably the most proud of in my EVE career, uh, where I fought two to one outnumbered against Apocalypse's Megathron and uh, Megathrons, the old um, uh, Baltec fleet utilized by the CFC, and lost like two ships.
0: Nice. Now, how does that yeah. matchup work? Because I would think the armored battleships actually fare better than some, at least some other options there.
1: You just always outrange them, and you're so fast that they can never, ever catch up with you. Hmm. Like, there, there just is a point where they can't do anything. If you are set up, even if they get a warp in on you, you're going to be at 50km before they drop out of warp in bond. Um, And even beyond that, you can just warp around on grid very, very easily and just reposition. Sorry, I'm trying to find this bat report. Um,
0: well, While we're looking for that, um, maybe you can wrap it up. If there's any questions that folks have about nightmares, their uses, their counters, how to fit them, we'd be happy to do a follow-on segment in the next show. Just email us your questions or put them on Twitter. Yeah, I want to
1: say one of, they're probably one of the ships that gets the most out of Bling. From any any major adoption other than the Macarials, uh, the fact that they have so many unique bonuses just makes them so so much better.
2: These X type afterburner, is fantastic. Yeah,
1: an X type afterburner and slaves. Oh,
0: maybe the Fire. shield slaves. Equip slaves.
1: onto the slaves. Snakes, snakes, snakes. Oh, snakes. snakes. Oh, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just fly around like a fucking I don't know something on coke.
2: And it's worth noting that the the Geest X-Type afterburner is rather cheap, like, in comparison to other X-Type modules, I think it's under 100 mil, almost guaranteed. I've bought them for 75 mil on the regular in the past. So for a Pirate Faction Battleship, pimping it out with such a, a key module, it's quite effective for the cost.
0: Well, of course, if you're soloing out there, you're going to have to be a little more careful of things getting under your guns. Stuff like uh, Microrp Drive Vagabonds or Cinnables will be able to point you, and you will not be able to do much to them. Um, so if you're planning on taking your, your solo nightmare around and fitting all kinds of faction stuff to it and zooming around, be aware you can't be totally reckless with it. You're going to be pretty good against battlecruisers, uh, slower armor cruisers, battleships, certainly. But faster shield cruisers that are designed for short range and fast armor ships designed for short range, most frigates are uh, still going to be problems for you. You can try throwing newts on them. You can try throwing drones on them. But if for whatever reason that's not going to be enough, you don't have many other counters there.
1: Yeah, I just put the um, battle report in uh, Skype for you. It's worth noting that we also use uh, rokes and maelstroms to some degree. Uh... In that doctrine and that's not because we think they're good it's because people can fly them uh, and that's something to keep in mind that you know there is obviously a sp constraint in flying nightmares that you have to be aware of
2: absolutely I say that, but when mc was facing up against your nightmare fleet we had all sorts of ideas of very specific counters we could do sending off a, a small handful a small squad of dudes to do something curious to force you to do something that would give us an advantage of some sort. I'm being rather vague here, but oftentimes, you're just massive number of dudes in random ships. There'd always be one or two or three guys in the very ship that would be able to stop whatever our nefarious plan was. Be it just a bunch of picks, or a bunch of random tracking-disrupting crucifiers, or molluses, or what have you. The the SP forcing some dudes to fly support ships rather than mainline ships turned out to be quite beneficial, at least on paper. Oh
1: yeah, no, that's something we've 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 kept up on. We we've, we've always been like Providence as a, uh, as, a as a region has always been relatively good at using new pilots. Um, we've never quite quite been on the brave newbies level or even the Goon Swarm level, but. Let's say we're solidly tier two in terms of being able to utilize our new bros. And we've stepped that up lately in the uh war against, you know, waffles and PL. We've gotten a lot better at. We've trained up a shitload of new FCs. And it's been really yeah. helpful. But yeah, you see that
0: that report, Alec? <laughs> it's pretty much. I can't actually check Skype during the recording because oh, now we're using it, it, it. But I will take a look at it later.
2: 67 from Pravi In total This is including All of their pets I'll... And um I guess that doesn't Make sense if I said Pravi as opposed to CVA But in any case 67 from Pravi 116 From the CFC
1: Put it in the TS, uh, TS3 for you bro Yeah I see It's against the Phoenix Federation So Not quite the CFC Unfortunately
2: Ooh, pardon me. CFC not, not much of a
0: challenge well, I think Phoenix.
2: Ouch So in shade Alec Alex,
1: <laughs> just throw in that bm you're never getting hired by them
0: <laughs> but
2: no.
1: that's a
0: shame cuz they could really uh, they could really use it but, but yeah that's pretty impressive mm-hmm. anyway i've
1: actually i'm actually even going to be fcing a fun roam next monday i can't wait
2: were Typhoons? Mm. I am sorry, pulling us back to this battle report real quickly. Were Typhoons ever part of the standard Baltec fleet? I thought that was strictly apocalypses and I megathrons.
1: I have no idea. I don't recall them ever being a part of it. I think people just were bringing them.
2: Gotcha. Yeah.
1: It was a bit of a odd fight, an odd fleet to see them in. But hey. When the sun shines
0: make hay. <laughs> Alright, let's move on to our region descriptions and wrap this show up. Like I said, if you guys have questions about the nightmare fitting, tactics, counters, etc., please mail them to us and we'll discuss them in the next show. Yin, take it away with Venal.
1: One second, I'm going to take a drink of coffee. I can neither confirm nor deny the allegations that, what are we being accused again of, Rabbit? This time? Grandpa, grandpiracy, uh, sixth degree, m- multiple homicide, uh, terrorism, uh, and littering, uh, if I'm reading this right. Yeah. That. No comment. <laughs>
3: I I'd like to know that is more
1: accurate. They all have deep South accents.
2: Interesting. Oh,
0: that was very nice. Very nice. I think I'm also going to go with the Southern accent. We watched a lot of House of Cards lately. But uh, Artemis, you're up for Verge Vendor.
2: No, no Southern accent for me. Sorry to disappoint. But Verge Vendor. While otherwise unnotable, Verge Vendor is home to one of the most infamous experiments of all time. And I'm going to butcher this. Tizjev is found in Verge Vendor, the site of a doomed cooperative cooperation, no, cooperative, between the Kaldari state and the Galente Federation. While the ripples of Tizjev have long since settled, Vergevender still evokes memories of cooperation for the sake of scientific progress in many. As such, the number of young, idealistic scientists found in the region is disproportionately higher than found in other larger and richer areas. Many dream of the day the hope of Tirzhev would set wouldn't be a simple one-off, but rather a blueprint for greater scientific harmony throughout the galaxy.
0: Very nice. I'll be doing Wicked Creek. We're forming the core of the southeastern cluster, this has long been the heartland of the Angel Cartel, as well as a frequent stomping ground of the Thucker Outriders. Its a maze of systems, centralized in position, multiple exits has also made a favorite hideaway of many particularly notorious criminals over the course of its long tainted history. Some of the most infamous villains in living memory, including serial and genocidal Black Harold, the arch-defiler Lucius and the Enigma that was Susata have run to and occasionally been run to ground in the Creek's Dark Embrace.
2: That was quite well done.
0: Why, thank you. You're the whip, Jackie. Whip the votes. (laughs) (laughs) I need to watch House of Cards. You definitely do. I will say this. It is just not as impactful as it used to be with everything that's going on. I no i I don't have a Netflix subscription,
2: so mm, I stopped in the third season. The yeah,
1: first it, two seasons are like the the clutch that's really what the, you need to see. It's honest, it seems like the kind of thing I know I'd enjoy. I'm just too much of a lazy piece of shit to watch it, but I suppose now that I have all day to myself being unemployed, I must ha- I might get into it. you could probably get through it in a week, probably get through it in a couple of days, yeah. Oh man, thinking of the anime I could watch.
0: (gasps) No. (laughs) (laughs) right, guys, that's it. Go to decorationsword.com to participate in our show poll and leave a comment. Capitalist Army is recruiting, of course. We can use a few good capitalists. Join myself, Tull, Tweek, Holmeg, Fadia, Cousin Pete, Sarah, and all the capitalist crew. Join our in-game chat, Capitalist Chat, Capitalist Space Chat for more info and hook up with us for a roam. And wherever you are, Good hunting, listeners.